Now, for the show that brings combat sports stories to life from the great state of Ohio, this is Forged in Ohio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 16 of Forged in Ohio. My name is Jake Murren, and as always, I'm the host of this podcast. Hope you all enjoyed last week's episode that was professional wrestling-based, but today we are back talking to a mixed martial arts fighter. Today I'm talking to a 2-0 amateur mixed martial artist. He was a D1 wrestler for West Virginia University. He trains out of a mortal martial arts center, and he has his third amateur fight booked for February 18th. It'll be for Cage Thunder 19 against another Forge in Ohio guy in Malcolm Hitman Jackson. Joining me today is Lucas Sniper Siebert. Thanks for coming on the show, Lucas, and welcome to Forge in Ohio. Hey, man, what's up? I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on the show, especially this close to your upcoming fight. And I know you've done a lot of these interviews, Lucas, and you do a great job at promoting yourself on social media and other avenues as well. But this is your first time on Forge in Ohio, so I do want to get a bit of a touch on your backstory before we get into your fights, especially the one coming up for you. So how did this journey begin in combat sports? You started as a wrestler, but what got you into wrestling? I started wrestling at the age of like, uh, I was probably in like fourth grade. Um, I came up uh, through Westerville North's program, their youth program, Westerville United, and kind of just, just fell in love with, with wrestling. My family had wrestled, my older brothers wrestled. They weren't like the best wrestlers in the world, but, you know, as a kid running around the uh, the tournaments, whether your brothers are winning or losing it, like, it, it gets it, it puts it in you it installs wrestling in you so they're a couple of years older than me so I, I like wanted to wrestle finally got to practice for a year and then started competing when I was in like fourth grade and kind of went on from there so even as a kid you were exposed to the wrestling mats with your siblings so was it something that you automatically knew you wanted to get into or did your parents sign you up what, what was that process like man I I was, if you would ask me when I was eight years old, I was definitely going to play in the NFL. <laughs> okay. Um, but like, I'm, I was super, super short. Like I was, uh, one of the smallest kids, obviously I, my middle school team, I was the 80 pounder. So like the football dream kind of fell by the wayside and I just naturally ended up being like pretty good at wrestling. I mean, my first year, I wasn't the best kid in the world. I was like a little under 50-50. But I, I remember telling my dad just after like going 0-2 or getting beat up at a tournament that I wanted to like commit to it. And then after that, started going to clubs, like wrestling clubs and stuff in the off season. Started like really, really, you know, fully committing to it. Growing up in Columbus, like wrestling's everywhere if you want to be good at wrestling you have the opportunities so i just kind of took the opportunities that were given and and worked hard right and how many years did it take you in wrestling to actually commit to it? you said that moment where you maybe lost a match and then told your dad you wanted to commit to it fully when did that happen so i i started i think i started practicing when i was in third grade started competing in like fourth or fifth i would say between I would say eighth grade year, I started like fully committing. I started training for uh, Colin Palmer, whose brother is actually Lance Palmer, like one of the best Ohio fighters we've ever had and one of the best wrestlers. Uh, I started training under Colin um, in Columbus. I was like his first like group of kids that he trained. And now he's 
state level, like coach of the year, D2 at the sales. So I started training under there, like club wise. And then my transition into high school, I was the smallest kid. So I was automatically a starter. So I, it was kind of like, love it or like a sink or swim kind of situation. And when you decided to fully commit to the sport of wrestling, how long did it take you to actually realize that, yeah, you were talented enough to actually make this a career even? Honestly, I didn't really think about it until um, like senior year started to roll around and I wanted to continue wrestling. I was always told that I could wrestle in college, but nobody in my family ever really went to college. I uh, wasn't really sure. I didn't know what colleges would want me. I wasn't like the best kid out of high school at all. I was I, I fell sh- pretty far short from my goals year after year. And then my senior year, I finally qualified for the state tournament. And the the recruiting process kind of started like being, beginning of senior year. And, and I went through that. Yeah, and then speaking of college, you go to West Virginia University as a D1 walk-on wrestler. How difficult was that process from high school to college, those workouts and tryouts, and becoming a walk-on at a Big 12 D1 wrestling school? Honestly, man, like I was I – was, uh, at the WVU alumni match last night, and I was talking to uh, DJ Bruce, who the you guys you guys are pretty familiar with. Mm-hmm. Uh, he came out and watched, and I was like, dude, when I got there, I was a D three kid. Like, I the only reason I didn't go Division three is because it was like they were all more expensive. They're private schools, and like I got the opportunity at West Virginia just kind of by like happenstance. It just kind of fell into place, and you know. As an 18-year-old kid, getting the the clout of being a D1 guy, I guess, maybe enticed me a little bit. But also, like, for me, it was either, like, the top or or nothing. So I I took my opportunity at WVU. And, man, I don't think I got a takedown in practice until uh, about January I got on campus. And in the summer, I, I would just get beat up every day. I ended up starting a match because a bunch of guys missed weight and then sophomore year rolled around and I ended up, ended up starting. Was it hard to stay motivated and lighthearted about wrestling when wrestling without a takedown for that long? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's hard, man. College wrestling's a grind. I, I like to throw the stats out there. The, that team that I joined, we had, 45 kids in August, or I think it might have been more like 48 when the season started. And by March, when the season ended, we had 24. So we went like it split in half, right? Those those bunch of different reasons, grades, trouble, you know, kids quitting, realizing that, you know, it's hard. The one ability that I have, I think that that's kind of separated me is that I'm, I'm willing to just work you know, even when it doesn't look like there's a light at the end of the tunnel, I can just duck my head and keep going. Yeah, and that's an incredible thing to have. And was there kind of that reality check when you first walked on where you were like, yeah, this is nothing like high school and I'm in for something that is going to be far from easy? Oh, yeah, there was there was a pretty, pretty fast reality check. I remember going through the first lift session. And uh, if you guys like look at my social media or something, your boy, he's not built for lifting. And I looked like I saw a ghost. 
I, after, after that lifting session, I was completely drenched in sweat. I was like, we had to do this every morning at 6 a.m. Like, are you serious? And um, it was it was rough. But like I said, man, I just kind of been able to, like, duck my head and work. What year were you most successful wrestling for WVU? And how good were you overall in your collegiate wrestling career? So, like I said, my sophomore year, I started, like, you know, my record wasn't great. But I started, ended up, you know, I, I, I had a pretty bad record, like 10 and probably 20, like 33% win percentage. And then I, uh, I placed at the Big 12 tournament and borderline qualified for the NCAA tournament that year. And it was like a complete surprise for everybody and myself. And then my junior and senior year just got injured a lot, lost a couple close wrestle-offs and never really got the opportunity to start again. I, I started a couple duels here and there, but my sophomore year, definitely my most successful, but probably like as far as wrestling capability, my junior and senior year, I, I think I would have been able to do some, a little bit of damage nationally if I would have got out there, but you know, it is what it is. And that's kind of how things fell into place. What were some of those injuries you sustained in your wrestling career in college? Ooh, uh, my, my junior year MCL just kind of sprained, kind of nagging me the whole time. Junior year, there's a really, really tough kid came in. Uh, I lost a close wrestle off. And then senior year is when the injury bug was just there. I, I had MCL, LCL on my right knee. So I had to wear that big brace that you see guys like Spencer Lee wearing. I wrestled a match that day. Um, like with my MCL, LCL, and then got turf toe. And I was talking to my trainer yesterday, and she's like, I cannot believe you got back on the mat after that. Like, I completely tore the ligament in my toe. It was like purple. Ended up getting back on the mat in February. As soon as I get back on the mat, wrestling number 12 kid in the country, my opportunity at WVU, getting a scramble in the first 30 seconds, try to hit a Granby and tear my hamstring. So it was just like, no matter what, I was all, I would just get hurt senior year. How do you overcome those type of injuries while you're actually wrestling and in those matches? Like the doctor said, surprised that you were even able to compete. Well, you know, when you're at like a, a big 12 program or any college program, the trainers are, you know, they're there for a reason. You listen to the trainers, trust the trainers because they want you to get back on the mat as, as much as possible. And, you know, I kind of just ducked my head and worked and ended up getting back on the mat and it worked out. I mean, obviously I didn't get to compete healthy, but, you know, I, I got to do what I got to do. So where does MMA come into play for you? Was there a moment in college that sparked your interest in the sport? So, yeah, um, I, I started training, you know, so the Big 12 thing, I placed the Big 12s. And then on the way back, so it would have been March 9th, my birthday, which is why I remember it, COVID happened, right? And everything shut down. We got sent back home, and there was nowhere to train, nowhere to do anything. And I had just tasted just a little bit of success for the first time, right? So I was like, I need to train. I need to do this, wrestling in people's garages and stuff. And then a gym opened up or, you know, opened up due to – covid restrictions and 
and stuff around the corner and it was immortal martial arts and i started going in there and you know i never really thought i was going to be an mma fighter i love mma you know i always had like the the pipe dream in the back of my head but it was uh it was just kind of a, a happenstance thing like most of the stuff in my life like it just kind of landed in my lap and i was like uh okay so I started training in 2020 for a couple years or a couple months. And then I would basically focus on wrestling during wrestling season and then come home during breaks and train at Immortal. And then I didn't dive into fully training until after my senior year. What were the initial days like training in MMA? You know, being a wrestler, I'm sure the first exposures to the disciplines of boxing, Muay Thai, Jiu Jitsu, kickboxing even could have been really interesting. Yeah, so I, uh, my first day at Immortal, I was partnered with a guy that you had on not too long ago, Josh Pereira. Me and Josh are around the same size, and it was like, it was a big group, like 10 guys, um, I mean, especially for COVID at the time, 10 guys that like actually want to be MMA fighters. Like Matt asked us, Matt was running the practice, he's like, you guys fight MMA, everybody kind of raised their hands, and, um, yeah, I got partnered with Josh, and I remember working out with him, and, like, he was he was an 0-1 amateur at the time. And me and him, like, ended up doing, like, buddy carries or something. We were, like, competing at the end of practice. And we were partners, but we were, we were trying to compete against each other. And I remember being like, this kid's got the same thing I have. I, like, that, that kind of switch. And, uh like we were carrying each other back and forth and we were laughing the entire room because me and him were like trying to compete against each other, but we were on the same team. And I, I just remember being like, okay. And then I watched, you know, I trained with Josh throughout that summer and I watched the success he had. Um, and I kind of was like, well, I know how, you know, me and Josh compete and we're, we're pretty neck and neck. And I could be like, wow, you know, the success he has, I could probably have. And, you know, I, me and Josh are super, super close now. And he kind of is a huge, huge reason why I ended up fighting. Yeah, Josh is incredible. That competitive energy in the gym, how do you let that build a relationship between you and Josh rather than having a actual competitive relationship that's not healthy? Is it just something to be said about the culture of Immortal or is there something more to that? I think it's it, it's partly the culture of at Immortal, right? You you go in, uh, you get your work done, and you head out. But it's the culture of MMA in general, at least the MMA gyms I go to, and it, it also takes two, you know, types of people, right? I go in, you know, we we get our work in, we're feeding off each other, trying to beat each other up at times, trying to help each other at times. And then as soon as, you know, the bell rings at the end, dap each other up and your brothers again. It's a, it's a culture like no other. And I think that might be partly why I committed to MMA because it's that like, there's a brotherhood that comes with it. Same with wrestling, but in MMA, it's very, it's very open and, people really like feed off each other and the energy's the energy's great so you know i think that's that's another enticing part of of why i committed to it full time i've heard from other immortal fighters on this show that when mark coleman enters the room everything amplifies the intensity is through the roof what's your experience been like with the hammer so far yeah so uh first time i ever met mark 
I was going up. We were we were at a jujitsu practice, and Mark came in, and you know he's wearing his wrestling shoes, just walking around. And I was with my brother, my older brother Wyatt, and we were like, "Oh, that's that's Mark Coleman." And like I grew up, Mark, I had a Mark Coleman action figure. He was my dad's favorite fighter. Like I knew Mark Coleman, and he starts yelling at me like yelling at us while we're wrestling he didn't know it was a wrestler he was like you know it's jujitsu practice which is usually very laid back saying not laid back it's not as intense and coleman's just screaming at me and the dude i'm wrestling the dude i'm wrestling against happens to be johnny DeJulius, who is a, a former ohio state wrestler one of the best wrestlers who never all american and me and him are just going at it and coleman's screaming at us and I remember like having this, you know, like WTF moment where I'm like, dude, Coleman's yelling at me. I got Matt Brown beating up my my older brother, and then I'm wrestling against Johnny DeJulius, so I used to go watch wrestle. Um, and I was just like, dude, what is going on? So that was my first introduction to Mark. And then, you know, now me and Mark are are pretty close. I actually don't train at Immortal anymore. I go, but I always train when I'm home. I always go to Immortal when I'm home. I talk to Mark almost every day through social media and text and stuff still really close with the guys but the level of the, the environment you know even with matt but especially with mark it's different is that style of coaching that mark coleman brings to the gym something that you respond well to i yeah i respond very very well to it um <laughs> but i you know it's the wrestler thing it's a right. it's a you know midwest thing like it, you there i've seen guys shrink in that environment but like when the pressure's on there's a lot of guys you know from everybody i've ever met from the area kind of responds really well to it but i i've been around different places you know wrestled in college and seen guys not respond well to that kind of energy yeah, you also mentioned DJ Bruce a little bit ago, and I believe you are a DB-trained athlete. Talk about that program and what it's done for you so far. Yeah, so I was, like, kind of the first of the the whole group. I, uh, I, I put something out asking for, like, sponsorships and stuff for the year, and DJ hit me up, and DJ kind of, I knew through Immortal, and, you know, I like DJ a lot. And he hit me up and was like, yeah, man, let's, let's figure something out. And I was like, yeah, they, like I want to do something, but we should, you should also do something with Josh. Cause I don't necessarily live in Columbus and Josh needs wrestling. It's the part of his game that he, you know, didn't learn in Hawaii. Um, and he was like, oh yeah, dude, I'm, I'm in, I love Josh. And then from there it's grown in this past month. Cause it started, I, yeah, it's been about a month. And it's grown, and now we got damn near every good kid in Columbus, like, with it. And the wrestling's amplified tremendously. And it's it's wrestling, but it's wrestling for MMA. So when I was even in college, I would go out and I would work out with DJ and, um, you know, work with, like, the – the he's affiliated with Beat the Streets, which, which is a great wrestling community. And I always just kind of like respected him on a different level because of that. Uh, it's something I was never exposed to. It's a nonprofit thing. And I, I was just like always hooked on it. And then when the opportunity came about, you know, kind of just was like, yeah, man, let's do it. And it's it's grown a lot since. 
Yeah, I just had Josh Russo, who's the head of coaching and mentoring for DB Trained On just a couple of weeks ago, and I love what I'm seeing over there for that nonprofit organization. Once again, talking to Lucas Sniper Siebert on Forged in Ohio. Let's talk about your actual fights to this point, because you debuted July 2022 for 247 FC. You won via KO in round two. How validating did it feel to walk out there and have the performance that you did in your MMA debut? It was awesome, man. Um, I felt like as prepared as possible, right? I've got a lot of, um, I, I'm very, very tight with 247. Like I said, I live in Pittsburgh now, very close with the organization stuff now. But like I've jumped on podcasts with them. And they're like, you handled it better than I think I've ever seen somebody handle a debut. And I was like, yeah, man, I, I kind of knew it, like knew I was going to win. <laughs> like I, I, uh, you know, competing at the highest level, just understanding it and having a certain amount of confidence in yourself helps, obviously. And I, I went out, did what I was supposed to do. And in that fight, I think I competed to like the best of my ability at the time. And that that was in July. Obviously, I got the knockout, which was which was awesome and and really helped my career because at the time I was I was getting a lot of a lot of hype quote unquote, like, uh, the, like UFC fight pass thing. And like, obviously the tie with Mark and Matt. And, um, it was just like, how's he going to handle it? And I kind of just embraced it all and went out and performed. I know you've talked in other interviews about how you don't really get nervous or anxious going into fight. Why have you always been able to stay composed and calm when competing? So I do get nervous and I do get anxious. I have a degree in sport and exercise psychology. I worked for a company called Wrestling Mindset. And the stuff I learned through, you know, mindset and my sports psych degree, I've been able to, I've been able to translate. Um, when I was in high school, my I would shrink. Like, like I said, I had a lot of times where I didn't compete to my ability. I was a two-time state alternate, and I was supposed to place both years. I would lose the go-to state match against some people that, like, I had beat the week before or done something because the, the moment would get too big. And then working with, you know, mindset and sports psych, I realized that, you know, nervous energy is there for a reason. It's based on your sympathetic nervous system and it's your fight or flight response, right? And you have two options, right? You can address your body who's trying to, you know, flight and go in that, that direction and be scared and nervous or understand that these nerves are here for a reason and they're in our body for, you know, the response. It's natural. We need it. Right. And use that when you choose to go out and fight is because you're given a choice. And I think I've just been really good at embracing the idea of, you know, it's, it's natural. I need it. And letting my energy kind of dictate it. You mentioned your degree and your work for wrestling mindset, but when did that mindset actually come to your head where, you know, it's okay to feel nervous sometimes going in there. I don't think it switched until my sophomore year at the, at the big 12 tournament where I kind of like, I won a match that I wasn't supposed to. And I remember going in and just being like, well, this kid has all the pressure. He's supposed to beat me, beat me pretty bad before. And, and then succeeding in that particular match and understanding that like, you know, it's, your thought process going into a match dictates nearly everything, right? Uh, and how you handle things when it's, you know, going good or going bad. 
And uh, I remember that match going into overtime, me taking a deep breath and me being like, all right, go get a single leg. And I got it, got it, got the takedown. And then after I walked off the mat, I was like, dude, that was, how'd you do that? <laughs> it was kind of like an out of body experience. And then I've kind of, kind of worked off of it since. Like I said, I never got to express it much in my wrestling career after that. But as soon as MMA came, I had been training, you know, I'm, I, I hadn't necessarily been training the fight game. I'd been training my mind for, you know, the past four years. And I think that is an advantage I have over every single person I'm going to compete against. How frustrating was it for your first fight, not being able to use ground and pound to the head? You were resourceful as you threw strikes to the body, but that amateur rule set has to be frustrating at times, I assume. Yeah, I do think, you know, and I, I've talked about this before. I think I could have gone in Ohio and I could have fought, used ground and pound and just got to take down one fights 30 27 because i wrestled in college and i can get a takedown right with the rule set in pa not only are the fights shorter by a minute each round you can't use ground and pound to the head what that did was it made me get better at striking right if i get a takedown how am i going to win if i can't really ground and pound to the head right you can get nice body shots which i have worked in my game but you have to be good on your feet Right. And I think that's something a lot of people lack. A lot of wrestlers in particular think that they can just go in and get a takedown. And for the most part, they can, but it's not going to work at a super good level. For me, I want to get good everywhere. I, I think I think the rule set for my first two fights were were perfect for me because they were advantageous for the dude I was fighting. Right. The dude I was fighting knew I couldn't get hit when I got a takedown. So, you know, they could play rubber guard and do a bunch of stuff. Now I have the opportunity to ground and pound and use my wrestling a little bit more in my fights. But I also have gotten much, much, much better at striking over the past year, not even a year, like eight months of training full time. But I, I really think the rule set has helped me. Yeah, that's interesting. I've actually never heard of a fighter credit the rule set for their own game and their own development, especially striking for a guy like you. I've always heard fighters kind of be annoyed by the different rule sets, whether that be in PA or Ohio, whatever it might be. But that amateur rule set can definitely be frustrating for most fighters. But it is interesting to learn about how that has actually helped you and aided your game, especially in the striking. Does it make you even hungrier, though, to see one of your close friends, Josh the Flying Hawaiian Prayer, we just talked about him, go out there in his pro debut with no regulations, knowing that you're still regulated to a certain extent as an amateur? Yeah, it's a perspective thing. I've been talking to Josh about about this going on since he, he fights, right? Like, Josh couldn't throw head kicks for the longest time. I'm not going to tell you Josh's game, but he comes from a copperware background. He can throw head kicks. He obviously can throw, like, knees to the head, elbows to the head. Those are very, very strong suits in Josh's, Josh's game. For me, with the ground and pound, it, it is like, well, you can't do this. Once we get these training wheels off, man, like, it's going to be different. We're going to be more than ready, right? So we're fighting at a disadvantage kind of in our head but it's all about perspective if i think i'm fighting at a disadvantage or i'm i'm like looking at the rule set in a negative way that's not going to benefit me right i need to look at it like long term and that comes from that comes from my my perspective with wrestling mindset sports psychology and stuff and you know the same fight or flight scenario right i have one 
thing where I can choose and kind of, you know, take the, the negative thought process road, or I can get that negative thought and nip it in the bud and go after a positive thought, right? Well, this is helping me long-term, right? And same thing with Josh. You went out and you saw Josh's performance and that's Josh with the training wheels off. I don't expect very much less from Josh. I, I kind of expected that. For me, every time you fought in Ohio, I, was, I would always be like, ah, right? If you fought a wrestler, especially, I was like, well, you like, yeah, dude can't get kneed in the face when he tries to take a sh- shot on Josh. So Josh got to, you know, develop his game, get better defensive wrestling over his amateur career because he didn't have those opportunities. If Josh would have fought in a different state where he could have thrown knees the whole time, he never would have got, you know, the wrestling that he needed. Right, and I really think that perspective that you have going into these amateur bouts is a perspective that all fighters need to have, and we saw Josh without the training wheels early in January. I'm going to be interested to see you without your training wheels down the line when you go pro. But your second fight was on the Insane 247 card last October, where you won via unanimous decision. What was that experience like going into the cage and fighting to a decision for the first time in your career? You know, my opponent for that one, he he was good. His record's very deceiving. It, he has one fight that was, like, not sanctioned, but uh, his record was, like, 50. I think he was 2-2 two two guy. He was pretty tough, though. He was a, a good wrestler. I knew it was going to be a good fight, but I don't think I necessarily was training the best way and, and stuff like that going in. I just wasn't working as hard as I have my entire life. And, I mean, I won. I had a pretty decent performance. But I think, you know, I, I expect more from myself. I do think if I would have had – they're two-minute rounds. I think the, the rounds kind of ended up short a couple times where I could have maybe taken advantage. So I'm super excited to get three more minutes of my fighting time. But, you know, it, it was good. It was good perspective. It was cool to fight with all my stout teammates on that car – or one of my stout teammates, Miguel, um, and then have, like, the whole stout team there. Josh was supposed to fight on that card. Josh was in my, he walked out with me. He obviously had a, a weight mishap from his opponent. And I f- actually fought his opponent's teammate. So uh, there's just a lot of stuff going in. And it was just one of those days where it was like an off day, but I was still able to flip that switch and perform to the best of my ability. Yeah, it was an off day and you were still able to pick up the win. And now you're just a few days away from competing for the third time in your amateur career. It takes place on February 18th at Cage Thunder 19 in Akron, Ohio. You've taken a lot of pride in this fight being your first and maybe even last fight in the state of Ohio. Why this fight in particular in Ohio? So the PA rules, uh, you have to get three fights, right? I had a, a, a minor injury happen. I was supposed to fight in December against a... 4-0 guy in Indiana. Uh, I, After my first two fights, I, I thought it was about time for me to get my advanced AMI start ground and pound, uh, have fights that are as long as they should be. And for this fight, man, it kind of it kind of happens. I hit up uh, Alex Henry, who I know fairly well, and I was like, hey, man, when's Cage Thunder having the next card? He was like, February 18th. And I was like, that is probably the perfect time frame. So got that, got an opponent pretty fast, and I'm excited. I'm excited. My opponent, he, he's a pretty tough guy, three and three, talks a lot. Um, <laughs> but I think it's going to be going to be a fun fight. Yeah, your opponent is Malcolm Hitman Jackson, who was on episode four of Forge in Ohio. 
Behind the scenes, I understand there's some bad blood. You just said he's talked a lot between the two of you. What's going on here? And is there a rivalry brewing between the hitman and the sniper? I think he he wants a rivalry or whatnot. I have no no clue, really. I could care less after, you know, two weeks from now. I, I really could care less. But, yeah, he's, he's he posts a lot on, on uh, Facebook and stuff, like uses my name takes pictures or screenshots of my name talks bad about, you know, the sport of wrestling, which I'm not fond of. And, um, you know, if he's trying to get in my head, I, I think it's not going to work. I think it's probably going to end up negative for him, but Hey man, whatever gets him up for the fight, I want his best on February 18th. So if that's going to help him go for it. How do you not let that kind of stuff get to your head and actually go into the cage and not be full of rage or maybe that'll actually help you on Saturday the 18th? I know myself. I know what's going to benefit me. I know what's going to, you know, not benefit me. And I also, you know, know my abilities in fighting. So I have a certain level of confidence that comes with my abilities and my mindset. So, you know, somebody else doing something or saying something's not necessarily going to affect me whatsoever. I know it's mostly built in their insecurities, and and that's not even throwing shade. That's just like, you know, that might be how he has to get up to fight, which I get. There's tons of guys like that, right? Look at mm. Conor McGregor, people like that. A lot of people have to have, a, have bad blood to fight, which I get. So, like, I just don't take it personal, right? It's the fight game, right? We can hate each other before we walk in the, in the octagon. We're probably going to like each other after, to be quite honest with you. But, but we'll see. If he wants to wants to keep the bad blood going, I'm I'm down for that too. <laughs> Malcolm is known for his speed, cardio, and agility, and you're more so known for your wrestling and ability to strike at a distance. Looking at his game and comparing it to yours, do you like this matchup stylistically? Yeah, I think it's a it's a pretty good matchup. I, I'm like super excited to you know get on the feet with him, and I, I've heard he's fast. I'm excited to see and feel that in person i think my striking is very underrated i mean i obviously only have two fights but you know I, I do like to strike at a distance but i'm i'm willing to engage anywhere i i genuinely think i'm better everywhere and i'm sure he feels the same way so we'll find out do you think you're going to employ your wrestling in this fight or are you looking to strike with malcolm out there i'm gonna find out <laughs> i don't know <laughs> the game plan changes as soon as you go out and fight right Let's say I wanted to go out and get a takedown. He stuffs it. I might be like, all right, well, I ain't going for another one. But if I want to go out and strike and I start getting get my ass whooped, I'm probably going to shoot. So we'll see. Game time decision. Once again, this is Lucas Sniper Siebert with us on Forge in Ohio. I wanted to shine a light on your YouTube page and your YouTube channel. Listeners can find it at Lucas Sniper Siebert 5687 to see your story and watch your vlogs along the way. What initially started your interest in doing fight vlogs and posting videos to YouTube? One thing is like with social media, I know you have to you have to use it to grow and stuff like that. My senior year when I kind of you know, thought I might fight, I started to grow uh, my TikTok and social media. And I had a couple like TikToks go viral with a couple hundreds of thousands, millions of views. And I was like, oh, there's not much ways to monetize on TikTok um, unless you get to a certain amount of followers. And I know there's a way to monetize on YouTube. And I think 
it's also just a cool thing to go and look back at. I use my social media pretty strategically at times, and I think it can it can benefit you a lot. I'm already getting a little bit of monetization stuff, which is cool, but I work hard on, on my social media. I think it's important. You have to, right? You look at guys who marketed themselves well coming up, they get the best opportunities, right? You look at the Jamal Hills, you look at the Sean O'Malley's. Jamal Hill has a huge following on social media. Sean O'Malley obviously has a huge following on social media. It's because they marketed themselves. They had the balls to go out, post videos, not care what people think about them, and do what they needed to do for their career rather than, you know, oh, I don't want to post that because it makes me look a certain way or it makes me feel a certain way. In reality, it doesn't really matter. People are going to judge you if you are sitting on the couch or if you post something. So you might as well just go ahead and put yourself out there. Yeah, marketing and branding yourself is crucial, especially in the MMA space. One video that I wanted to talk about was your first experience in coaching and cornering a fighter last December for their amateur debut. I know your guy won via TKO in round two, but fighters I've talked to in the past have said that the stress and nerves truly come out when it comes to cornering a teammate. I know you don't necessarily feel too much of that when competing, but did you get that feeling at all when cornering your, your teammate? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's hard not to, you know, have the nerves, especially when you're cornering. You're up close and you have no ability to do anything about it. That particular fighter, he asked me like a month-ish out and I wasn't sure because I was to have a fight. And I was like, yeah, man, I got you because he, he wanted to wrestle in his fight. He's a wrestler. And I was like, well, I understand why you want me in the corner. And yeah, I'll do it, man. And he went out and he had a great performance, but he almost got he almost got rear naked choked in the first fifty seconds. And I was like, This is this is bad. But it went well, man. It was cool. It was a it was a really cool experience. And, you know, just being around the fight game, like I haven't been to a, a ton of fights. It was cool. That was the closest I ever been. And I remember being in the corner and telling them to throw punches. And like, as soon as they started landing, I was like, oh my God, this is so violent. Obviously it's violent, but you don't realize how violent it is until you start hearing something of somebody's head hitting a canvas. You're just like, yeah. Jesus. <laughs> so is this something that you would be open to doing in the future? You know, keep on cornering teammates and things like that? I would, yeah, I would definitely. I, Zach, I'm probably going to corner him for most of his fights. Uh, me and my buddy, Anthony Hodgeback, cornered him you know if he if he asked me i'll corner him but i'm 100 percent willing to say no like mm -hmm. if, if my buddy is like hey man can you corner me and he hasn't came to practice in two weeks i'm gonna be like absolutely not no i'm not cornering to watch you get knocked out or even if you win you didn't put in the work i know this is kind of false for me it like if you put in the work you know you have a certain demeanor and stuff like that i'm i'm more than willing to help Long term, I would probably, you know, I'd probably rather be an MMA coach than a wrestling coach. But, I mean, we'll see. I think I, I have a lot to offer in the coaching aspect, but that's going to be 10, 15 years down the line. Why would you prefer being an MMA coach over wrestling? I'm not sure. Maybe it's just kind of that I'm in MMA right now. Um, sure. But I relate really well to older guys, even within the mindset stuff like i have clients all around the country all different ages i relate best and obviously i am 22 but i your ability to process stuff 
is very dependent on me being able to coach you. If you can't process certain words or and I'm not, I don't speak very well. Like I'm not the most <laughs> intelligent or intellectual guy in the world, but like if you can't understand certain, certain things or certain or relate to certain things or have a certain work ethic, I'm, I'm not going to be able to relate to you very well in the coaching aspect. So I could probably coach college wrestling or like very high level high school wrestling. But if you're not committed or devoted to a certain extent, if it's not your life, I have no interest in helping you. We've been talking about social media and I've noticed that you use the hashtag just a wrestler in many of your posts. What does that hashtag mean to you? And is it almost like a, a chip on your shoulder in a way? Yeah. Um, so the, like the first dude I was fighting, he kind of was like, and, and like the nicest dude in the world, but he, uh, he said something in the interview, like you have to, you have to answer questions, right? I don't have any like bad blood, but he kind of was like, yeah, he's just a wrestler. And I don't think he's going to be able to take me down. And I've used that since, right? I think, uh, just a wrestler to me means, you know, it, it means like being a wrestler, ducking your head, doing what you need to do, not really embracing the, social media usually not really you know falling victim to the the crowd kind of just ducking your head doing what you have to do you know wearing sweatpants to school doing what you need to do nobody kind of understanding you and it's a lifestyle i'm very proud of one that i've lived since i was well i've lived hard since i was 12 years old and um i think that's the reason i am where i am obviously um so I put the hashtag just a wrestler because I think it kind of uh, explains me. Yeah, that's great. They've kind of have taken that from your first fight and made it your own. Uh, before we wrap up, anything you want to shout out in terms of social media handles or sponsorships? In terms of social media, follow me on Instagram and TikTok, Sukis Liebert. That's my name, Lucas, and then Siebert, and then switch the letters. Not too hard. You guys probably figure it out. And then as far as sponsors, um, Milo Training System out in Morgantown sponsors me, helps me a ton with my uh, strength and conditioning. Immortal Diet Optimization helps me with my diet. Daniel Daniel Bruce and DB Train, Josh Russo. My coaches at Stout in Pittsburgh, best gym in Pennsylvania, on the come up. Going to take over the game here soon. Hopefully we'll get some fights in Ohio this year. And then all my boys at Immortal and all my boys in Columbus and shout out my boys in Morgantown just there last night. And the WV wrestling team had the number three team in the country on the ropes last night. And uh, we're definitely on the come up. All right. Well, thanks again, Lucas, for joining me on this show. It was great to have you on the program. And I look forward to seeing two Forged Ohio guys go at it at Cage Thunder 19. I know you represent Pittsburgh very well, but we're on Forged in Ohio, and I always end interviews with a chant for the state of Ohio. So, OH? I know. That was Lucas Sniper Siebert, the 2-0 amateur mixed martial artist with a strong wrestling background from West Virginia University. His third amateur fight goes down this Saturday at Cage Thunder 19, an exciting contest between two guys I've had on the show. I'm not taking sides here. I wish both guys the best, but I do look forward to them tearing it down on Saturday night. 
As always, support Forge in Ohio the best you can. That includes following it on Instagram, subscribing or following the show, and downloading and sharing episodes. Thank you all for tuning in. I've been your host, Jake Marin, and this was Forged in Ohio.